Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of 1 Peter. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. ourselves eternally grateful. I'd like to thank the people at the core of the ministry, one body. Yes, we all need each other for this to function properly. If you have a cell phone, please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's service and we'll start off with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, our Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us this opportunity tonight, Lord, to come before you to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and learn more and more about you, Lord, and your ways. Help us make your ways our ways, Lord, so we can glorify you, Lord, become like your son, and bring others into the kingdom, the very purpose why you saved us, Lord. Help us to make the right choices, Lord, to choose you. Let us know, reassure us all that you're with us and you go ahead of us every day, Lord, on the mission field, Lord. I pray for the people that are sick and wayward in the ministry, Lord, that might let the devil get into their minds, Lord, to keep them out of the ministry, Lord, knowing that you would never have people leave, Lord. You'd always bring, draw them back to you, Lord, knowing that you're the head of the church and disconnected from the vine, we can do nothing, Lord, as the church is the head. And we're grateful for that, Lord, and the people that are faithful here, Lord. We pray for the people in the country and we pray for all the churches to unify, Lord, with one spirit and one mind, Lord. As this world gets darker and darker, let us get lighter and lighter, Lord. As we wait for you to return, Lord, and we prepare ourselves for your coming back to us, Lord. And as always, let everything be led by your spirit tonight, Lord, and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that I pray. Amen and amen. All right, we're going to stand and worship the Lord. Yes. 
Good job. God is on the move. He's always on the move. Hallelujah. That's right. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's right. All right, how's everybody doing tonight, all right? It's good to see everybody. I'm glad I'm here. Halfway point right in the week. That's right. Get some spiritual food in us tonight. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 16. in verse 19, but we're not going we're gonna to back up a little bit. <laughs> Just a bit. Go to verse 14. Hope despite the disaster. But the time is coming, says the Lord, when people who are taken an oath will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who rescued the people of Israel from the land of Egypt, instead they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the people of Israel back to their own land from the land of the north and from all the countries to which he had ex exiled them. For I will bring them back to this land I gave their ancestors. But now I am sending for many fishermen who will catch them, says the Lord. I am sending for hunters who will hunt them down in mountains, hills, and caves. I am watching them closely, and I see every sin. They cannot hope to hide from me. I will double their punishment for all their sins, because they have defiled my land with lifeless images of their detestable gods, and have filled my territory with their evil deeds. Verse 19, Lord... Jeremiah's prayer of confidence. Lord, you are my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of trouble. Nations from around the world will come to you and say, our ancestors left us a foolish heritage, for they worshipped worthless idols. Can people make their own gods? These are not real gods at all. The Lord says, now I will show them my power, now I will show them my might. At last they will know and understand that I am the Lord. Amen, right? People try to make their own gods. People try to be their own god. I'm, I'm in control of my life. I don't need to go to church. I don't need a savior. I don't need Jesus. I'm doing just fine without him. Well, one day we're going to have to stand before him in judgment. And he's going to say, well, if your good works can save you, Let's look at, let's open the books. And all of us fall short, amen? So it's up to us to pray for them and hopefully they'll find Jesus like we found Jesus and be ready for his return because it's coming. It's definitely coming. Especially as we're in 1 Peter. All right, we're going to begin and break into 1 Peter chapter 4 tonight. Very powerful chapter talks about living for God. I'm going to summarize this and we're going to get started. First Peter reminds us that the end is near. We are to be clear-minded so we can pray. We are encouraged to love each other deeply and use whatever gifts we've been given to serve each other. 
Peter then points out that suffering because we are Christians should not surprise us. Rather, we can rejoice because it is evidence that we bear the name of Christ. He encourages that we are blessed when insulted because the Spirit of God rests on us. Amen? So it doesn't matter. Alright, so let's go to verse 1. Living for God. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Now, you don't hear that preached in churches very often, now do you? It says, arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. What's he trying to say there? He's saying, you'll be so sick of the penalties and consequences from your sins, you'll be so done with them because they beat you up all your life, that you're ready to say, all right, Lord, use me. I'm going to serve you from now on. I'm done with this. The sin's killing me. All right? Suffering helps, all right, listen up now. Suffering helps us to be like Christ. Is what, it, is what it does. Yet people will do anything to avoid pain. Followers of Christ, however, should be willing and prepared to do God's will even when it requires suffering. We can overcome sin and suffering when we focus on Christ and what he wants us to do. Pain and danger reveal our true values. People who suffer for doing good and still faithfully obey in spite of suffering, have won a great battle against their sin nature, which fights to enslave them. How many of us still battle with our sin nature every day? It is unbelievably how, how strong it is. It seems like the closer we understand and go towards God, the stronger our sin nature tries to resist that and grab us back into enslavers again. It's incredible. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit to help us through this. Or else we fall back into it all the time. Because we can't in the flesh. We can't overcome our sin nature in the flesh. Now look what it says in verse 3. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness, and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. What do people live for in the world today? drunkenness and wild parties. Everybody's just looking to get together and get drunk and party. That every, every event there is, there has to be alcohol involved in it because if there isn't alcohol involved in it, it's not a party. So that's what people, this is what people live for. And Ecclesiastes, that's the only happiness people ever find. Going to parties and drinking and just trying to get out of themselves. That's what, it, that's what it's saying here. It says that we've had enough of that. So a lot of times, we don't, we don't participate with that anymore. I know I don't. I have no, no, no interest in, in doing that because all it is is a temporary fix to escape all the problems and then you're done, you've got a hangover and you feel like crap and then you've got to go to work the next day. So what good is it? It's only a temporary fix. It doesn't change you at all. It makes you worse. Then it says in verse 4, this is the good part about it, of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things, they do. So what do they do? They slander you. 
Here we go. You're now you're holier than thou. You don't do them things anymore. You're so much better than me. But beep, ba, 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 ba. No, I'm, I'm no better than anybody else. I just choose not to do it. And you know what it is? It shines light on them knowing that it can be done. That you can enjoy your life without drinking and partying all the time and still get in, and have a good time down here. You don't need all that. And what it does is shines light on them because they can't, they can't understand how anybody could live that way without having a drink and party like that. Again, the amen here. So they think that you're, you know, boring, but it's not boring. When you, when you get out to the other side of things, there's more life on this side than the other side. The other side brings death and destruction. Nothing good comes from that. Nothing. <laughs> so they slander you. Okay, listen now. In verses 3 and 4, people whose lives change radically at conversion may experience astonishment or possibly contempt from old friends. <laughs> they may be scorned not only because they refuse to participate in certain activities, but also because their priorities have changed. And they are now heading in the opposite direction. You know, when we used to live for other things, we used to plunge right into it, but now our priorities are different. God comes first in his house and we take care of it. It's like something happens. A, sw a switch gets flipped on. You understand your reason why you're here, and then you make a choice and you, and you, and you no longer participate anymore. Nothing against it. It's just that it's not, it doesn't interest you anymore. Or you don't crucify anybody that continues. And it's just that it does no good. It has no value. But people scorn you. Right? Their new lives stand out vividly from those of their friends, which are characterized by sinful activities. Mature Christians should help new believers resist such pressure and cope with rejection by helping them to be faithful to Christ, surrounding them as new friends, and encouraging them to develop new habits and activities that are not only enjoyable, but also positive for their spiritual growth. Amen? So where to encourage other people to? To bring them into the kingdom. Verse 5. But remember, in verse, in verse 5, but remember, they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. They now live forever with God in the spirit. Or in spirit. Amen? All right, now listen up. This is important. I don't want to keep going on. Let's, 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 let's really get into this. Uh, let's read verse 6 first. Or in spirit. Why am I not see verse 6 here? No, one second. Okay, First Peter 4, verse 6. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. How about a big amen there? <laughs> That's awesome. So now listen. Many people in the early church had concerned about life after death, okay? In Thessalonica, Christians worried that loved ones who died before Christ's return might never see him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. 
Peter's readers needed to be reminded that the dead, both the faithful and their oppressors, would be judged. Okay? The judgment will be perfectly fair, he points out, because even the dead have heard the good news. The good news was first announced when Jesus Christ preached on the earth, but it has been operating since before the creation of the world, Ephesians 1 verse 4 tells us. And it affects all people, as the dead as well as the living. In verse 5, we base our salvation on our belief in Jesus, and God bases our judgment on how we have lived. Those who inflict persecution will be mocked for punishment when they stand before God. Believers need not fear eternal punishment because Jesus will be the final judge, John 5, 22. Peter argues in 1 Peter 3 that God will protect and reward his people who suffer and will hold their persecutors accountable on the day of judgment. That's why it's important not to take matters in your own hands and leave it in God's hands. Can I get an amen here? All right. All will give an account to God, so we must be ready. This should give you a new perspective on your activities and actions today. Are you prepared to explain them to God? When you go before God, are you going to be ready to explain your life to Him? All right, look at verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. You see it? Earnest and disciplined in your prayers. I have to say, my wife, she's very disciplined in her prayers. And she's always asking me, Jack, come on, let's go pray, let's go pray. Because it's something that's not natural for us. We have to learn and be disciplined in it. It says, to, it, says it right here, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, this is really what's really important right now. Continue to show deep love for each other. Right? Why? For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. All right, now listen. We should live expectantly because Christ is coming again. Getting ready to meet him involves continually growing in love for God and for others. To be prepared, we should pray regularly and reach out to people who are in need. Your possession, status, and power will mean nothing in God's kingdom. But you will spend eternity with other people. Invest your time and talents where they will make an eternal difference. How about a big amen there? Romans 12, 13. All right, look at verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So every believer, this is why I try to say one body with many parts, why are not people looking for what, where their place is in the church? And saying, this is my body. I have to, what's my gift? And how do I use it in the church to build the body of Christ? Why are not people using it? Why is the pews not full? Because they, they don't understand. They're not in the scriptures to understand. God saved them, gave them a gift to what? Build the church, the body of Christ. That's why he saved us. This is what keeps us from sinning. Serving God instead of ourselves. If anybody knows that, it's me, because as soon as the church opens, I'm here, because I know this keeps me out of trouble. This keeps every sinner out of trouble. To use them gifts 
faithfully for God. And it tells us right here, God has given each of you a, from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Why do Christians still serve, continue to serve themselves? We're here to serve one another, not serve ourselves. Or get the best out of life now. And just take, come to church and go about our business. No, church is our business. It's everything to us. That's what it says. Now it says right here, look what it says. Do you have the gift of speaking? Verse 11. Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you, just like he is right now. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. The, the gift of helps, everybody has the gift to help people. Then it says, look, do it with all the strength you can. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So we're here to glorify God. I come to church. Do you think I get discouraged when I don't see all the people coming in the church and, and growing in their grace and coming to church and saying, use me, Lord, use me? Don't you think that brings discouragement on me? Of course it does. But God says, John, you just keep preaching it because they're without excuse. I'm telling you what you have to do, and you just keep doing it. And God, the word goes out when it gets where it has to go. It goes out right now. Who knows who's hitting? It's in the airwaves right now. What I'm saying right now, somebody is hearing this that God wants us to reach maybe in Ethiopia somewhere. And it's sad that the people right in the local church are not here to hear it. And there's people out there that are dying to hear it. Because they don't have a church like this to teach them about the Word of God. Americans are spoiled. That's what the problem is. They just don't get it. Their life is more important than other people's lives. That's all, that's all it is. My, what I have, my agenda is more important than God's. So I have to take care of that first. And that's why you understand, if you want your life to go good down here, it says seek the kingdom above everything else, and everything else falls into place. Once you do that, it does. And people try to put their life together out there without God, and it doesn't work. They wonder why it's a mess. All right. In verses 10 and 11, our ability should be faithfully used to serve others. Listen now. None are for our own exclusive enjoyment. Some people... Well aware of their abilities, believe that they have the right to use their abilities as they please. Others feel that they have no special talents at all. Peter addresses both groups in these verses. Everyone has some gifts. Find yours and use them. Peter mentions speaking and serving. Paul lists these and others in Romans 12.6, Corinthians 12.8. Ephesians 4.11, even as you seek to discover your gifts, if you see a need in the church, seek to meet it. Don't ask, don't say, what do you want me to do? If you see a need, just do it. Meet the need. You may find gifts in areas you might not even guess you had. How is God glorified when we use our abilities? When we use them as he directs, okay, to help others, they will see Jesus in us. And glorify him for the help they have received. Peter may have been thinking of when Jesus had said, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. 
Matthew 5, 16. Can I get an amen here? How's anybody going to see Jesus if you keep serving yourself? Jesus never served himself. He always looked out for the needs of others. A friend just prayed that one of his, uh, his car, your, your boss helped you with your car today, right? Yeah. Is he a believer? That's what I'm saying, right? Even an unbeliever does that stuff and sees a need and meets it. You get Christians that don't even do that. That's why the world doesn't want to come to church. They're saying, what's the difference? You guys just do whatever you want. You don't care. You don't put God first. You say all these things. You're a bunch of hypocrites. People say, I don't, I don't need God. There's enough in the world already. Can't get any men here. They should notice the difference. Say, you know what? I want to meet a need for somebody. What can I do? What can I do to help somebody today? Instead of thinking of myself, I'm going to try and see if there's a need to be met. You have to look for it. before It doesn't just come. You have to go seek it. The very reason why we got saved. All right, suffering for being a Christian. This is one of the reasons right here. Don't be surprised. Dear friends, now listen. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. So when you start to follow Jesus, you have to understand that you're going to go through a lot of fiery trials. And the church doesn't teach that. And people go through trials when they meet Jesus and they walk away and say, my life was better before I came to church. Yeah, because you were following the devil and you didn't realize it. Now that you turned from that, the devil wants you back. He's going to cause all kinds of turmoil in your life. And if nobody teaches them that, what do they do? They walk away. This is too much for me. But we teach, we teach the right stuff here. The Bible tells us what to teach. It says, as something was happening, it says, look what it says. Instead of what? Be surprised? It says, instead be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to the whole world. So he's saying you're participating in, you're on Team Jesus. Team Jesus Okay, when you're on Team Jesus, you suffer with the team. Whenever you have a team, they all suffer together for the team. Whenever they win, they all glorify together. But we all suffer together too, not just a few Christians. All Christians suffer together as a team. We, don't, we can't escape suffering. It's, not gonna, it's part of life. Depression, all these feelings are parts of life. That we have, these are spirits. The spirit of doubt. The spirit of fear. All these things keep us from the spirit of what? Love. The fruit of the spirit. Joy, peace, patience. All them spirits that God puts in us, the other spirits try to take out of us. They try to take all that away by getting depressed. Or what, getting de- the biggest one in the church is discouragement. They don't see the progress. I don't see myself growing. I'm very discouraged. Discouragement is not from God. Encouragement is from God. He tells you to keep going. Look what he did. Jesus followed him all the way to the cross. Obedient. Because he knew there was better, there was better life ahead. You have to look at what's coming, not what we have already, because this is this is temporary, all this. Now, to be honest with you, most churches, if they've seen there was only four or five people in a Bible study, 
They wouldn't do it, they close it. They say, I'm not going to have it. Like to say that the people that are here aren't as important as a hundred people in the pews. What does it matter how many people are here? The people that are here need it. So what, you shut them off because the masses ain't coming. That's not right. That's plain favorites. That's what that is. Say, I want the church filled. When the church is filled, then we'll do a Bible study. <laughs> well, then I guess we're never going to do it. Because there's a thing called casual Christianity where people just come on Sunday. This is, this is programmed through the years. This is why it happens. It's programmed that way. You know what I mean? It's casual. They don't, they don't, it's not their fault. It's really not their fault. They just understand that that's the way church was supposed to be. Sunday you come to church, you're with your family, and then next Sunday you do the same thing. They don't understand the real meaning of it, but they're learning it as they come here. They're learning the real meaning of it, and you know, hopefully they'll catch on, or watch it online, or do something else, or find it. We don't persecute them for it, it's just that they don't know, they just don't understand. That's all it is. It's just a lack of knowledge. So we still love them anyway, right? So we protect our brothers and sisters that can't protect themselves. That's what we do. We don't persecute them or knock them. We love them back. We love them in here. I think I heard somebody say, oh, I like this church. Everybody loves each other here. Yeah, yeah that's how you know the church is healthy. When everybody loves each other and accepts each other and don't try to run each other down and talk about each other. That's the sin nature. That's the flesh. When you find yourself talking about people inside the church, you realize you and the devil are like this. You, you, and you can come to church and say that I'm a Christian and talk about everybody with gossip and slander. And let me tell you something. You're just like this with the devil. It's not God. You're only fooling yourself. You know what? When you, when you talk about somebody, you're only talking about yourself. Because all of us have the same stuff in us, and what you see in someone else is what's in you. That's why you say it. Can I get an amen here? Just in case you don't know what gossip is, gossip is you talk about somebody that's not with you. If, if, if it's not gossip, they can be with you and you can say it with them there. If they can't be there when you're saying it, it's gossip and it's slander. We should be building up and edifying each other, right, and encouraging each other. How about a big amen there? We don't pay back evil for evil. All right, so it says, now look, instead be very glad. All right, now look what it says in 14. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. See it? God is a spirit. See, it's the spirit of God that rests on you when you're insulted. Because, listen, you're going to get insulted because you bear Jesus' name. Because you believe in Jesus, you're going to get insulted. All right, now listen. Look at, look at verse 15. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. What is social media today? Prying into everybody's affairs. That's all they do. Let me look on Facebook. Let me see what's going on in their life. And they go in there and they pry in their own. Instead of taking... Instead of looking at themselves, saying, this is what I need to make some changes, let's go meddle in someone else's affairs. Let's go, let's go pry in and see what other people are doing. Look, taking care of myself, my own spirit, is a 24-7 job. I have no business in anybody else's to see what they're doing. I'm so glad I don't ever be, I've never been connected with Facebook, and I never will be. 
There's nothing good in there. I call it fake book. That's what it is. It's fake book. And everybody believes everything that's going on in there. It's like, come on, really? <laughs> you find Christians getting involved with it. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm going to shut off the fake book and open up the real book. Amen. This book. And read the Bible. Because that's what's going to transform you. It's the word of God. Well, see, when God speaks to you, it's the words of God that you've learned that's in your mind when the trials come. That's what God's speaking to you through his word. The power of God is through the word of God. So if you don't learn the word of God, then you're not going to hear from God. Can I get an amen here? Okay. So look what it says in verse 16. 16. But it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. It's an honor. When you're mature... It's an honor to suffer for being a Christian. And that takes a lot. It does. We don't like to suffer. Come on, let's face it. None of us want to suffer. But it's part of the trip. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. How about a big amen there? Okay, before we go on. Again, Peter brings to mind Jesus' words again. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Matthew 5.11 Christ will send his spirit to strengthen those who are persecuted for their faith. Peter creates no illusions. God's plan for your life may include pain and hardship. When trouble comes, don't be surprised. This does not mean that all Christians' conduct causes, conduct causes suffering. Peter distinguishes between suffering for being a believer and suffering for doing the wrong thing. Okay, for example, all right, a Christian may feel picked on for being a person of faith when it is obvious to everyone else that it is his or own unpleasant behavior that is causing the problem. Careful thought or wise counsel may be needed to determine the real cause of our suffering. We can be assured, however, that whenever we suffer because of our loyalty to Christ, he will be with us all the way. We should never be ashamed to suffer for being a Christian. When Peter and other apostles were persecuted for preaching the good news, they rejoiced because such persecution was a mark of God's approval for their work. Remember Peter? I mean, Paul was in prison. He was singing in stocks. The jailer said, how can you be singing right now when you're in the cold cell with your feet in stocks? He was singing hymns because he knew that God had put him there for a reason. To get that guy, the jailer, saved. And that guy got saved from him being that way. And his whole family got saved by what? Acting differently. Instead of saying, I can't believe Jesus put me in jail. I can't believe this. And then what? People say, yeah, you're right. I'm glad I'm not a Christian either. When people, when Christians complain, that's just what, like it's saying. I'm glad I'm not a Christian because you guys are complaining all the time. Instead of what? Glorifying him. Believe me, everything, people here, listen. You tell people you're a Christian, they're listening, and they're just waiting to hear something from you, to, to mock you. Say, yeah, okay, Joe Christian, yeah, look what you're saying. You're, you're worse than me. What's coming out of your mouth right now? You, that's why it's so important to watch what comes out of your mouth out there. Because that might keep someone from ever coming to church or finding Jesus. 
You don't want to be that, do you? Like you said, like I said, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing. Because you can't retract it after. Now listen, don't seek, don't seek out suffering and don't try to avoid it. Instead, keep on doing what is right, whether or not it brings suffering or not. What is it? We keep on doing right because that's what God tells us to do. He doesn't say, well, because things are bad, it's okay for you not to be good. He tells us to be good in every circumstance because that's the right thing to do. Can I get any men here? And he gives us the power to do it. So if I was, if I didn't understand the suffering, I would never be able to keep doing this. Or anybody else in the ministry for that fact, if they weren't taught right. The same, I'm suffering. I can't believe how much suffering. I, I didn't suffer this much when I was in Egypt. Just like, remember the slave? Remember, the, remember, they were out in the desert getting tested by God. They said, it was easier out there. Be, it was easier to be a slave than have to have faith in Jesus, in God out in the desert. That's what happens to us when he starts to take us out of the world. It was easier to be like that than it is to walk with Jesus. It's not easier. You're walking right into the kingdom of darkness that way. We're walking into the light right now. We're coming out of the dark. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Now, look at verse 17. This is, this, listen, I think I'm going to have to say this Sunday. I think I'm going to make a, make a note of this. It says, for the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. Do you realize God judges his house before he judges the world? People don't have any reverence for God or respect for that. He's going to judge the church first. He's going to say, you knew everything that this Bible teaches you, and yet you still act the way you do. And the people out there don't know any better. You do. He's going to judge us harsher. Because we're outright rebelling against God. I don't know about you, but if you read the Bible, you know what God can do. He can send, and listen, you get tormented, don't blame the devil. God's the one who lets the torment come. Because something's not right in your life. That's why the torment comes. And it's up to you to find out what it is and rebel, repent and confess and get rid of it. So the tormentor doesn't keep coming. Now get any men here. Don't blame anybody else for the torment. Look in the mirror. Now look what it says. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed the good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, it says, what will happen to godless sinners? Proverbs 11.31. Just imagine... We're just escaping the fire because we decided to follow them. We're not perfect. So just imagine the ones that outright rebel again. Think about what people think about how people mock God and say there's no such thing as God. And this, that, and the other thing. What they do <laughs> They don't understand what's coming from that. No. It's scary. They have no fear of God at all. No fear of God. Okay, now listen. In verse 17 and 18, <clears throat> this refers not to final judgment, listen now, but to God's refining discipline, Hebrews 12, 7. This does not mean believers' assurance of salvation is uncertain. Peter already said that our inheritance is being kept in heaven for us, 1 Peter 1, 4, and 5. Thank God for that. We can't lose that. 
But these verses do remind us that believers must often travel a difficult road and that often the suffering helps us to grow closer to Christ. See, the more I suffer, it brings me closer to God, not further away. As believers, we must recognize the cost, continue to do what is right, and persevere to the end, which we're doing. To the best of our abilities, that's what we're doing. I mean, I have the conversation with my wife all the time. We look, oh, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard in the flesh. In the spirit, it just flows. When you're in the spirit, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters in the spirit. It's all good in the spirit because God's using it to, to grow us up and refine us and make us like gold. He's burning all the impurities out of us. He's trimming us. He's pruning us. Remember the vine? He what? He, he trims the branches that are no good and he keeps pruning us so we can do better. So we're always getting pruned. Yeah, right? Because there's a lot of, look, we have a lot of stuff inside of us that's not godly. Thought, word, and deed. And it takes a lot to get rid of that. It loves to come back in another form. All right, so look at verse 19. So if you're suffering... In a manner that pleases God, listen to this. This is, this is such reassurance right now. Keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you. For he will never fail you. If you just can keep that in your mind when all the roughness and all the problems are coming, saying, trust your lives to the God who created you, he will never fail you. You know that you got created. You know that God created you, and if you trust him, he will take care of you all the way to the end. You have to believe that, though. Even when all the fiery trials are coming, and understand that that's part of the trip. Can I get a big amen here? Because listen, if you're suffering for being a Christian, that means you're doing something right down here. This is the devil's kingdom. You're shining light in the darkness. Of course, they don't want you to show them light because they, it, it exposes their darkness. See, when you bring light into the darkness, when you bring a pure life into a bad life, they persecute you because it shines light on what they're doing wrong. So they get what? Mad. So disrespect it. Can I get a big amen on that? I'm glad. I'm glad you don't, you know, listen, I, there's nothing in my house. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to come over to my house, I mean, there's, there's water. I mean, there's, you know, some soda. But there's no, there's no, there's no wall full of liquor. So, well, guess what? Nobody wants to come over. Because that's what people, that's what, listen, they don't want a relationship with me. That's what they have a relationship with. How do I know? When the church, when the COVID came into the church, they made the liquor store an essential and they closed down the churches. What does that tell you? That the state is addicted to alcohol and then if you shut them down, they were all going to go into withdrawal. So they had to leave it open for them. They say over 75% of the state are alcoholics. That's why the liquor stores have to stay open. So then you're saying, who's their God? Wine and spirits. 
Not God's spirit. Now, was there anything wrong with it? No. But if that comes before God, there is. And if you're drinking it to get drunk, that's a big problem. There's different reasons why we do it. It's all in the motive. Is alcohol itself a sin? No. Neither is a knife or a gun. Until you pull the trigger on somebody. Until you open the bottle and drink it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's all what you do with it. Because the Bible says God made everything that was good. What do we do? We make it bad. Because why? We overindulge, right? All right. We're not going to close here, but let me just reiterate on what we said in verse 19. The Bible counsel that we should trust God everywhere and in all things. Listen to me, now it's important. In good times and bad, beneath sunny skies and thunderclouds, when our pockets are full and when they're empty. How does trust work? One, trust overcomes fear. Genuine trust in God says, whatever mess I'm in, my heavenly father will lead me out. Two, trust overcomes depression. No matter how overwhelming the situation or how disheartened it makes us feel, God can draw us back to the light. Three, trust overcomes hate. When careless or cruel people hurt us, sometimes irreparably, we can hate them forever or we can trust God, but we can't do both. God is here to steady even the worst situation. Always with the promise, always with hope. Commit your life to him for safekeeping. Rely on him when you face your worst circumstances. Why is it when people are going through something, they walk away from church? Do they not understand that when you need this the most is when you're going through problems? They take out the power source that can take them out of the problem and they go into the problem even deeper and they leave out the, 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 the one that can help deliver them from it. The first thing people do when they get into trouble or run into problems is leave church and blame God. How can they blame the one who t- is the one who protects us from it all? Does it make any sense? No, because it's a lack of understanding of what the Bible teaches. That suffering is part of the trip and to stay with Jesus and we'll go through the suffering together as a family. We rejoice together and we suffer together. Amen? That's why it's so important. All right, I'll leave you there with that note. We're going to close. Dave, you want to come up and close us? And we'll get together again and go into First Peter 5 and we'll be able to finish this next week. Maybe. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful for this beautiful day, Lord. Yes. Another opportunity we have to gather together in your house, Lord, and hear your word. Lord, in Joshua 1.8, it tells us to study this book of instruction, meditate, uh, meditate on it day and night, so then you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then you will prosper. Lord, I pray that we will come to you and your word each day for guidance and direction, Lord. Lord, I pray that we'd always remain faithful to you, Lord. 
Lord, I pray that you would just continue to watch over the church and the congregation, Lord. Anybody who might be sick, not feeling well, or just going through anything out there, Lord, I pray that you would touch their hearts, Lord, reassure them that you never leave them nor forsake them, and that you're with them always. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Dave. All right. We're going to watch a video and close.